Michael Broughton is an artist and founder of Infinity Artists Group. He was born and raised in the beautiful Rocky Mountains of Colorado, where all types of music fill the mountains, cities, and plains with an undeniable passion and energy for life. Rock, blues, jazz, country, classical, and R&B were some of his favorites and drove his passion for music, both recorded music and live performances. Michael was inspired to start Infinity Artists Group, IAG, by his love of music and his belief that all should be able to hear and see national and international recording artists live on stage. After eight years in the business, it seems that Michael is well on his way to establishing a solid foundation within the music community with his rising new artists, chart-topping artists, and his straightforward approach to doing honest business. IAG is a state-of-the-art agency that specializes in professional artist representation, contract negotiation, tour management, both nationally and internationally, and event planning. IAG works diligently to ensure that both the artists and talent buyers' interests are met, thus ensuring a successful entertainment experience for the fans. You can find out more about Michael and Infinity Artists Group at their website, infinityartistsgroup.com, or on Facebook. Welcome, Michael. I've known you for a great many years now. Jesus, coming up on three decades, as it were. Um, we first met in boot camp in the Navy and then went on to uh, spend A school together. We we're in the same A school class, uh, radio men of the 21st century, um, then named IT. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and then um, subsequent to the Navy, um, you and I worked together pretty closely on a couple of different IT projects. Perhaps we begin with... Um, uh, just discussing uh, or telling us um, how that came about and and how you know a little bit about the business itself and how you got into um, choosing this line of work coming from where you know we you and I both met which was in defense contracting and information technology sure started a long long time ago back when I was in junior high and high school uh, I thought I was going to be uh, the next greatest bass player um, and I went to a school assembly and I watched the gentleman play the bass guitar and I immediately took my bass guitar back to the music teacher (laughs) and told him that I was never going to play as well as that gentleman. A few few years later when I'm living in Temecula, uh, my wife Jennifer and I, we used to go to Thornton Winery. Uh, We were on the champagne level uh, and you would buy season tickets to uh, see all the different jazz artists that would come in. Uh, Dave Cause, uh, Boney James, Brian Colbertson, you know, some of the big heavyweights. Well, there was a gentleman that was coming to play. His name was Warren Hill. And my buddy called and said, hey, I'm playing bass guitar for Warren Hill. And I'd like you to come by Thornton Winery. And I said, that's funny. I said, we're already going to be there. So we have season tickets. So we had a nice Nice time at the concert. I had a great chance to talk with uh, Vernon and see how he was going and what he was doing in the music business. And we talked with Warren for a little bit. And let's see, about six months later, we ended up at another show where Vernon and Warren were there. And uh, after the evening was done, after the show was done, uh, got a call at about six o'clock in the morning and Vernon said to me, he says, hey, Warren wants you to come and work for him and start booking shows and work on some special funding projects. He likes the way you, you work and handle people and whatnot. So that was kind of the start of it. We started doing some small projects for, for Warren, and uh, eventually it turned out to 
us becoming his booking representative. And that's what Infinity Arts Group is. It's a booking agency for artists. And uh, shortly after that first year of working with Warren, we picked up another 20 different artists uh, that had called us and asked us to represent them. That's how are, we got Infinity started. Are the artists that you represent, um, are they mostly uh, in the Denver area? I know that you've done or perhaps continue to do international bookings um, with the, uh, and predominantly in jazz, correct? Like all of the artists that, that you're working with are in the jazz genre. Um, that is correct. Uh, most of my artists live anywhere from Texas to Florida, New York, uh, Minnesota, California. I have a couple here in Colorado. So and they're all predominantly smooth jazz era, except for Larry Braggs, who was the lead singer of Tower of Power for 14 years. Uh, he's more of the, you know, the R&B style, uh, a little bluesy here and there. Uh, but we did manage to bring him away from Tower of Power and he ended up singing the last two years as the lead singer for the iconic group, The Temptations. So, now we have him off of the temptations and we're going to pair him up with uh blues r&b jazzy type uh group called bone shakers so it'll be the bone shakers and brags most of our guys are jazz related even adrian crutchfield who we just brought on this last year he was the last uh saxophone player to play with prince and record with prince and so now he's starting to venture into the jazz industry a little bit with his R&B background. So uh, we try to be pretty diverse. I was on your uh, site looking at, well, ostensibly what would have been upcoming shows um, that were all over Europe. Um, and as somebody who represents artists that are everywhere and you do a lot of international work um, throughout Europe, how, how does that work and how has that changed? Like, how do you actually do the booking and, and the venue selection, um, et, et cetera? Is it something that you've had to travel to and, and, and to scope, or is it uh, virtual relationships? And then how has that changed in this new you know, world we're living in? Well, I think the virtual relationships are what really makes it uh, available for us to book a venue, to talk with the promoters or the talent buyers. Um, if we didn't have the internet and computers, uh, I wouldn't be able to afford to do this job because I couldn't travel everywhere or else we'd be very localized, uh, you know, within driving distance. So um, I think over the last three years, we've probably done business in 17 international companies or countries, uh, which can be very difficult and very trying at times. For example, uh, when we went down to the Kalundra Jazz Festival with Larry Braggs and his group, uh, we had to fill out work visa paperwork. We had to get a tax, tax exemption paperwork, all done and all processed and all the money converted over to U.S. monies or Australian dollars. So uh, it's pretty cool for me because I get to learn different customs, and the way different government works, uh, taxing, uh, just even communicating with individual promoters when they say, we want this type of show. It may be completely different in Budapest as it is in Australia or in uh, Zimbabwe, which we actually did a show in. So there's a, it's, it's very difficult, but we have virtual relationships. We talk on the phone quite a bit. I send emails just to keep our names relevant with our artists. 
But you got to keep in mind, just as Japan, uh, they're real big into Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, all that. They're a few years behind us. It's the same way with Europe and jazz. They really, really, really like the jazz shows. Um, and they seem to be a little bit behind us when it comes to what's the next phase of the music or where is that genre going to go. Dabble in all the areas just a little bit. And typically what happens is, uh, as the booking agent, my primary responsibility is to represent my artists. And so I need to make sure that the contracts that we have signed, uh, the deposits that have been made uh, to Infinity Artist Group, and then subsequently pushed over to the artists, we have to make sure that, that all, that, all that doesn't change. Uh, for example, we have Burke's Jazz Festival, which was going to be the 30-year anniversary show. We have Prime Sunday spot for uh, a group of guys that I call the Soul Patrol. And uh, so our monies had already been paid, contracts already been signed, but they wanted to cancel and move it to 2021. So basically what we did is we just said, okay, fine, we'll just roll the contract over, put a new date on it, all the monies are paid, everything's good. That is the ideal scenario for me. Um, instead of trying to reschedule later in the year because you never know when it's gonna reopen. We did that this year uh, with the Soul Patrol going to Mallorca, Spain. The promoter Christian Bodner got a hold of me and said, hey, Michael, we'd like to push from May and push it back into October. Do you have any conflicts or anything wrong with that? So obviously now we need to check and make sure that we don't have another concert uh, that's scheduled for that time. Everybody's free to go, personal lives, all that stuff uh, tracks in uh, to make it available, make that date available, make it a viable date for us. Uh, once we can determine that, then we can just change the date. That's an easy contract negotiation. However, when we have a situation like where we play at Spagatini's in Seal Beach, we get a guarantee, and then we get a guarantee of a percentage over the actual money that's been guaranteed. For example, if an artist is going to get paid $1,500 and the promoter takes in $2,000, we get 75% of that additional money that he's taken in on the top. So now that they've started doing social distancing, that decreases the number of seats that we have in a venue, which means that sometimes our artists are paying, playing for a lot less than what they thought they was going to get, especially if they have a track record of selling out the venue. Are there, are there actual shows going on now that are limited seating availability? Cause I was under the impression yes. that, so talk to me about that because I was unaware of that. And are these like small, um, I mean, like what, what, what size venue are you talking about? Uh, how many people like would it normally seat versus what they're allowing in now due to physical distance? Well, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll go back to Spagatini. Spagatini, before they're remodeled, they used to seat about 175 people. Tickets could be sold. After the remodel, they were down to 150 now, because of the coronavirus, they see about 109 seats, and that's if every single seat is bought, not just uh, one person buying one seat at a two-top, and they don't have a date, then that's an empty seat. So um, as long as they're able to maintain the six feet, I think it is, and uh, whatever the distancing is, you can play. For example, there was a gentleman named Darren Ron, who's a very great jazz saxophonist. He sold out Spagatini 
uh, this last Saturday. And, uh, oh. you know, they had the crowd sit back from the stage a little bit more. There's a drum shield up. Uh, they moved chairs into areas where it was just standing or common areas so they can maintain their social distancing. I was completely unaware that any music venues were going on. I mean, I, I can't even go to any shit locally here. Like, none of the bands are playing, um, you know, even like, you know, friends of ours, uh, some of which have been on the, uh, the show as, as other featured mm -hmm. artists. Like, everything that they had going has been canceled because at least where we are, maybe it's different county by county, state by state, obviously. Um, and that, that has, you know, some imports is that, um, yeah, basically everybody here has been screwed and without fucking good live music. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> I assume that you've been in pretty regular contact with the artists that you represent. Um, what is the, you know, how have they been adjusting to either a completely obliterated tour schedule, you know, or um, a, one that is very reduced, you know, like, are, are, is there more virtual things happening, um, which seems to be a trend, even though it's somewhat, you know, difficult? Well, to... there, there's a lot of people that are trying to come out and do uh, virtual concerts or perch or porch concerts. You know, I've heard that term. Uh, we had uh, a gentleman, one of our artists, come up with a thing called the masquerade party, where everybody wears a mask and they social distance and. You know, he gets a couple of guys together, they sit out on the back patio and throw down in a jam. I don't like the virtual ones. They, unless they're done completely fantastically, wonderfully right, uh, they look very hokey and it looks like the artist is begging for money. And that's really not the case. They just want to get out and play their music for the people. Uh, I can say that one positive, uh, not for all artists, uh, but one positive that I've seen is I've been screaming at the top of my lungs to every one of my artists, get in the studio, write new music. What have you done for me lately type situation? If you haven't put an album out in four years, nobody's gonna come buy your ticket. So fortunately, that's been really nice um, for about 90% of my artists. The one artist that's suffering from that is a gentleman named Blake Aaron. He's had six number ones in a row off of his last album. And for me to tell him get back in the studio, he's, he's like, I haven't even released the whole entire album yet for my last one. So it's not benefiting him, but he is the kind of artist where he can do a lot of production work for other artists. So you're, what you're going to see after all this pandemic's done, I think across any genre, is you're going to see a huge amount of new music come out from artists that are sitting around. They have nothing else to do except for be creative, and they've got all the studio time now that they want. So I think that you're going to see a lot more music made in this style uh, where people are recording from home and they're utilizing their stuff. But inherently, I think all artists are very social people. So pretty soon you're going to have to bring back the live music. They, they want to get out there. They want to shake the hands. They want to be uh, playing their music. They want to be on stage. I mean, that's what they live for. So, I mean, you have a few artists that like to do nothing but sit in their studio and just make tracks all day long. And that's what they do. But all my artists, they're chomping at the bit to go out and play anything. You know, let's get out and see some people. So we started scheduling some gigs where we know that there's some social distancing uh, allowing. Uh, for example, we've got a show that's going to come up uh, probably October, and that's going to be down in Florida. We're already doing shows down in Florida again. Uh, but the gentleman, he's like, instead of bringing 250 people in, he's bringing 50 people in and then he's live streaming the concerts and we're taking a portion of that revenue. But at least, you know, they're out and about.
as an artist, I'm an actor. I was in, in New York until recently. Okay. And one of the, the unfortunate things, but necessary things, is that a lot of the places that were, you know, places where we could set up appointments for, for interviews or auditions or whatever, there are tons of these places all around. Sure. And some of, so we, we, we as actors, we kind of know where all of them are and we, their home bases. One of them that's been a real haven for us is Shetler Studios. They have a massive building filled with nothing but rehearsal spaces mm-hmm. and theaters. They closed, they're done. So when this is over, they're not gonna be there anymore. And there's a lot of places like that. Also, mm-hmm. some actors that were in New York have decided to just go back to normal jobs and some have actually just left New York permanently. So coming out of this, there's a lot of venues that are no longer gonna exist. There are artists that are no longer going to practice their art. Mm-hmm. I wonder about your job, uh, your, your industry, have have there been businesses that do what you do that have just said we're done there's no way we can possibly continue or have or or have other businesses in your industry decided no we're going to we're going to stick with this because this coronavirus thing will pass and we're still going to be here well i there's different aspects of my business number one you have the artist is can that artist or does that artist artist have the capability uh, being able to provide for themselves. They're not out on tour. They're not selling a whole bunch of records. Uh, do they have a different job? For example, I have several of my artists uh, teach music. So they still do that and they can do it virtually. Uh, they're obviously not going to the colleges and stuff like that and holding the classes, but they still are having individual sessions one-on-one. So a lot of them can do that. You also have the promoters. Uh, you know, some of these promoters, they plan all year long for their show and they've put deposits out. They've, they've gotten musicians in, they've ordered food, they've ordered tickets. They've got staging and lighting that's gone up. For example, Burke's jazz festival, which I talked about previously, they have shows over the course of 11 days in over 20 different venues. Now imagine just saying, well, we can't do it. I mean, he's got to be losing his mind. I, I know that I would, if I had to reschedule all that over 50 groups. So mm. you're trying to roll all that stuff back over to the next year. And hopefully you can still get the same leases or the rental agreements, the same equipment, the same artists and people like that. You also have the venues. And these are the, you know, mortar and brick type places. For example, iconic place here in Colorado called Jazz at Jack's. I actually got to see my favorite group at that place when I had my uh, bachelor party. And, and they went ahead and moved uh, to a new location. And just six months ago, they were gonna open up a second location. Last month, she closed the doors for good after 28 years. So, and she's married to a gentleman named Steve who a uh, very nice group called Dotsero here in Colorado, and they used to play there almost every weekend. They're like the house band. They have no place to play either. So that whole family, that whole structure is gone. It's done. I mean, she was giving away grab bags of memorabilia and stuff like that. Just stop on down, come down to Jazz at Jack's, we'll give you a gift bag. CDs, glasses, coats, whatever they had. Just done. So it's pretty sad. So do you think that potentially 
there, with this thinning of the herd, so to speak, in so many industries, that when this passes and we get back to some sense of working normalcy as, a national, as national communities, mm -hmm. do you think that we're going to have potentially just only cream of the croppy type artists going to only cream of the crop type venues being managed by only cream of the crop type people or i mean because there's going to be a resurgence of creativity like we've probably never seen as you were referencing sure. what do you what do you think that's going to look like well hopefully it's not a predatory type nature in other words the promoters know that the artists need the shows so they start lowballing them to save themselves some money to make up on some of the money and now all of a sudden it's you have 10,000 artists and you have 1,000 places to play. Now the promoter can sit back and say, I'll take him and I'll take him and I'm going to only pay you 50% of what I used to pay you. So that could happen. And that would be tragic if it does, because it's going to be a loss. Um, I know that in my, in my certain aspect, uh, you're going to see smaller agencies like me, uh, that will start banding together so that we have strength in numbers, uh, that we're not caught unaware or with our shorts down, for example. Uh, some of these bigger agencies, uh, APA, for example, they have an uh, office in, in Beverly Hills and they have an office in New York and they represent probably 25 to 3,000 artists. And you got to wonder, you know, what are they doing? For me, I work from home. It's not a big deal. My internet is literally the only overhead I have unless I want to buy a fancy new Affinity Artist Group t-shirt or do something, you know, with my, with my website. But I couldn't even imagine having to go to my office in Beverly Hills and pay the rent on that while the music industry is going. So, so that, that actually uh, is a very interesting uh, question. Uh, since your artists aren't performing in the venues, um, you know, or at least largely reduced, you know, just starting again, that's got to have a direct impact on your revenue stream because yours is directly tied to promoting and getting them out in front of people. So how, how has this affected Infinity Artists Group? Or will you survive this as a group? Um, I mean, you talked about banding together, but I mean, you personally, what's happened to you guys? Well, for example, we've lost about, I'd say about $450,000 worth of contracts. But like I said, I don't have any overhead. And fortunately my wife works from home and manages a couple of offices in California. So, you know, we were set up to work from home. Uh, I always like to say leaner is meaner. You know, it's like I said, I don't have a bunch of employees that I have to take care of. My, my house is still going to be here no matter what. So my office space is on the third floor unless I blow that off of there or something. But uh, it's still going to be here. So if we get an uptick in business tomorrow, I'm set and ready to go. I mean, I still work every day. I'm not sending out 500 emails and making 100 phone calls a day. But uh, I'm still working and, you know, we're still doing some things. We've got a couple projects that people are looked at. Uh, uh, negotiating a private party for a gentleman that has a car transport business in upstate New York. And uh, he's called and asked to have a couple of our artists come out and play private party. So, you know, we, we, we're still moving, but you're going to see, like I said before, you're going to see some of us smaller people start getting together. There's a new coalition of people uh, or of, of these small uh, booking agencies like mine 
that have gotten together and they've hired a lobbyist so that we can start talking about can somebody like me or any of my artists, can they draw unemployment? Are they going to be able to qualify for small business loans? You know, you can go down the list. What kind of tax breaks are there going to be for somebody like me? I mean, I basically could just walk upstairs and shut the door on my business right now. But, you know, so you're seeing small groups of us start to get together and form these coalitions and start getting lobbyists to go to Washington, D.C. and start talking to the people and seeing what we can do to help mitigate some of the loss. And, uh, you know, future is always the thing. You, you want to come out of any problem or uh, any situation and be a little bit stronger and set up better uh, to move forward and continue the business. So, Michael, are you, um, uh, as in your, in your business, are you working directly with the American Federation of Musicians as well? Uh, because I know that they have been putting forward different types of initiatives to try to lobby both, you know, international governments for the same sort of protections and the same sort of, um, you know, benefits, right? I know sure. here in Canada, and our local is, is not necessarily as strong as it should be, but they're certainly still working towards those same, same means. Are you in any way affiliated with them? Well, <laughs> I try not to get tied in too much with uh, any of the big organizations, although I will say that I've probably had more phone calls and emails going back and forth than I ever thought was possible on the subject. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're working with some of the groups uh, to try to figure out what's the best way forward. You know, for me, I've only been in the business nine years. I like to think I'm one of the sharpest guys in the room, but there's been people that have been doing this for 30 and 40, 50 years. So I'm kind of just sitting back watching to see, you know, how's that going to affect me? Hopefully it's not going to burn me up because, you know, some of these bigger companies can take a bigger loss. Me, I just got to kind of sit back and let the big boys swabble it out and have the fist fights um, and then try to learn as much as I can from them. So it's, it's hard for me not to shoot my mouth off and jump in there and get involved. But, uh, you know, the number one thing is we just want to be ready for when they do pass some legislation as to, okay, this is going to affect me. And how can I help my artists understand how it's going to affect them? Part of the reason why you love what you do and why you're good at representing artists, and I know this based on the conversation you and I had on the phone, Michael, is that you were an artist. And so you played music. You, you did a, quite a bit when you were younger. Um, yeah. So how did art become a part of your life? And is that directly what made you want to do what you're doing now? Well, I think music was always an escape. I mean, you know, your parents, they work hard. Uh, you know, they come home, they fight. They don't fight. They get a divorce, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but I had a huge amount of time to be able to sit around and listen to music. There was always music going in my dad's house. Uh, my mom always had music on. Uh, when I grew up, there were like really cool cats that were on the radio. And I mean, just the radio, Wolfman Jack up in the Valley. I mean, that, man, he makes you want to do anything with music. That's one bad boy. We had a guy here in Denver. He was on 1280 KDKO soul radio. And his name was Dr. Daddy-O. And uh, he played the coolest jams, you know, that, late night platters type music that your grandma and grandpa used to listen to and dance when they thought nobody was watching. So 
that always inspired me because I remember the nights, now stop me if you've never done this or maybe if you have, your mom or your grandma or grandpa, somebody had that big ass car with the big bench seat in the back. And as a little kid, you could lay up in the back window and the, in the, or, uh, you know, in the very back window and the, and the windows were down and it was like Paul McCartney in the wings or somebody like that was on the radio and it was just magical. So for me, music was always very special to me. Now I got involved in playing music because one, you know, that's where all the cute girls in band camp or band class were. So motivating factor right there. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a good outlet for my mom to get rid of me for a while because I was a very hyper child. So she would stick a violin or a viola in my hand or a clarinet, uh, bass guitar, uh, drums. I sucked at those. I don't know why. Got uh, no rhythm. But, uh, got no rhythm for, <laughs> dang, that's dark boy with no rhythm. Anyway, so dance. I, uh, huh? <laughs> I said, I've seen you dance. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was a good it was a good opportunity for my mom to give me something to do to distract me. But uh, well, your dad Earl was, is an audiophile as well. I mean, like hardcore. I have seen his equipment, and it costs more than some people's houses. Um, yeah, I mean, ten thousand records and miles yeah. and miles of reel to reel tape. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's yeah. it's always been it's always been a big thing, and even on the farm, you know. I used to hang out with my grandma and my grandpa and they always had music going on the farm. And so I kind of learned from playing the violin and viola how to enjoy uh, classical music. Uh, I learned a lot of the R&B stuff from uh, my dad. I learned a lot of the rock and roll stuff from my mom and my, my uncles and my grandma and grandpa. Man, they would listen to country music like nobody's business. So... But uh, every, everything uh, to me has always been about music. You know, you, I walk into the room, I got a little theme song going on in my head. Uh, so it's very important. I think it calms people down. But, uh, you know, I just got into the music businesses because it was something that I found out that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed spending that time. Uh, listening to music with my wife and going to the concerts and just always thought it'd be kind of cool to be involved in that and uh, fortunately uh, it's turned out to be pretty good it seemed fairly organic um, in your time in Temecula because it's where you were spending it's always been what you enjoyed doing wine conversation and jazz and all of those things coalesce and then you know um, it just seemed to be like something like you always do just sort of floated right into and became like a natural extension of, you know, you living your best life. Um, and to that, I want to say thank you very much for spending a little bit of it uh, with us. It was nice talking with you all. Thanks for having me. I uh, hope I didn't sound uh, too confused. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a great passion. It's a, yeah, confusing times. And uh, especially when the situation doesn't allow you to do what you love. Well, I thank you again, Michael, for taking the time. You bet. Thanks for having me.